welcome to the Campus Outreach Podcast, where we want to equip you to make your college years count for eternity. I'm your host, Tyler Rollison, also known as T-Roll, and today I have a very special guest, a returning star of the podcast and a good friend of mine, Mr. Ben Weber. Ben, how you doing? I'm well. It's good to be here. Yeah, you're, you're returning, man. That's it. I finally got the call back, so <laughs> we, there was a little bit of an absence. I didn't take it personal because I know you've had some fantastic guests and speakers on for the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. Nothing personal. <laughs> That's right. Honor, honored to be back here with you, sitting across the table. Yeah, man. It's, it's super fun to have you back on here. Um, so, Ben, you, obviously, you're not a rookie to the podcast. You were here when we first started it, um, and people have heard your voice on this podcast a handful of times now already. Today, we're going to be talking about contextualizing the gospel. Um, to a lost world. So before we jump in, can you talk to us a little bit about kind of your experience with this topic? I mean, you know, spoiler alert, you'll probably talk a little bit about the paper you wrote for your doctoral program. Essentially, you are, you know, I'm trying to keep you humble here, but you you are a uh, you are a contextualizing master. I've definitely devoted some uh, time, energy, and study to this topic. So for the past 13 years, I've worked at the same university as you, University of West Georgia, and I've worked primarily with athletes. And I know you can't see me right now. This is all audio, but I am not a hulking athletic specimen. I'm a pretty average middle-aged white guy. But he, 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 you do run a lot, Ben. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Very slowly. And so when I was given the task to make disciples uh, amongst the football team, the baseball team, and our coaches here at West Georgia, automatically I was stepping into a different culture. And so I just had this idea that what if I approached the West Georgia football team and baseball team uh, just like a missionary would a foreign land, tribe, or language? And so really what that caused me to think, consider, and study was, you know, how, how do I speak make the gospel intelligible to a group of men who belong to a different generation, play a different sport. Most of them have a different ethnicity to me. How do I bridge those cultural gaps and develop trust? That's great, man. Well, you are certainly the right man to have on the podcast today. So why don't we, why don't we start here? Can you just start by, I guess, giving the technical definition for what contextualization is? And then also, um, when we're really talking about contextualizing the gospel, what does that actually mean? Absolutely. So contextualization might not be a word you've heard before, and obviously the root right there is context. And what we're trying to do in Christian or missional contextualization is we're trying to translate the gospel truth. Now, we're not translating it very often, at least in our context, on the American campus into a different language, but we're taking this gospel truth, and what we're doing is we're translating it to a different context, a different culture. So we take the unchanging truth of the gospel— and we put it into a language of our audience or the people that we're trying to reach. In other words, we're removing any unnecessary barrier. We're trying to make the gospel, this simple message, as clear and as understandable as possible for the hearer. Okay, that's really good. So what if you did this? Could you maybe give some, some examples of what that, what, what that might look like? You kind of talked about the football team already, but sure. maybe some other examples from your own life. Yeah, how, how about we go, we go way back, not start with the present, not start with my life. I, I'm not the OG when it comes to contextualization. Uh, in fact, I, I would actually make the case that Jesus, his entire existence, was contextualized because Jesus, even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself being born in the likeness of men. 
See, there we have it. There you go. Uh, Jesus put on flesh. Uh, God became a man in Jesus to reach men. Okay, so the very existence of Jesus was entirely contextualized. Uh, if there were one classic proof text uh, for contextualization in scriptures, I would point people to 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22, and this is Paul speaking. But what Paul describes is a, a contextualized ministry approach. And he says this, Even though I've, I'm free from all, I made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became under the law, so I may um, win some under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, so that I might win those outside the law. See the pattern? Yeah, yeah, See yeah. the repetition? And then finally he says, to the weak, I became weak, that I may win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I may save some. Okay? I've become all things to all men, so I may sa- save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And so what Paul is describing is different cultures and demographics. He talks about free people. He talks about slaves, those outside the law. That's a reference to Gentiles, those within the law, to the weak and to the strong. And what Paul is suggesting, okay, is that he adapts um, he, he, he adapts his nature, his temperament, his communication style so that he can win people to Christ. So we see right here the goal um, the motivation, if you will, of contextualization is that we want to save people, right? Just like Paul, we're saying, I want to save some, so I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to violate the law of God, mm-hmm. but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to build bridges and remove unnecessary barriers so that the gospel is clear and understandable. That's good, man. And, I, and I'm even thinking, is it Acts... Uh, I might be getting ahead of yourself here. Maybe you're going to talk about this in your notes, but isn't it Acts 17... When Paul is in Athens and he contextualizes the gospel to to uh, Gentiles as well, absolutely, yeah. So if you go to Acts seventeen, uh, that's a famous sermon that Paul delivers at a Grecian Athenian complex called the Areopagus. Areopagus. So just picture Plato, Aristotle, uh, old Grecian men, flowing togas, long white beards, philosophers, and they're listening to Paul as he speaks. And here's what's something that's pretty interesting. Paul is definitely the dominant preacher in the book of Acts in the early church. And there are some things that are the same about every sermon that Paul preaches Every time that Paul opens his mouth to preach, he always emphasizes the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Go figure. He, he, he made it all about Jesus. He always issued a call to repentance. Okay? There was always a divided response, meaning not everybody believes. Some people actually reject the gospel and the message that Paul preaches. But every sermon was a little different. Because Paul was always preaching to a different audience. And so for me, I actually have the great privilege of preaching, sharing the gospel at different campuses. Campus Outreach Birmingham actually oversees 10 campuses. And here's what I understand. Every campus is different Mm. because every campus has a different culture. And within a campus, the, the sports team, the fraternity guy, SGA, or the freshman, they all have a different worldview. They have a different context. So no sermon is perfectly portable. I can't take one sermon and deliver it at West Georgia and use the same sermon at the University of Alabama. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the same talk that I give with the football team needs to be adjusted and updated because I have a new new audience when I I go across the street to Greek Village. So, yeah, no doubt we see Paul doing it 
in Athens, we see Jesus, his entire existence. And then really, if you actually look at uh, the, 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 the history of world missions, uh, you've you got to look at a guy like, named Hudson Taylor. Uh, Hudson Taylor was the founder of China Inland Missions, and, and he was a groundbreaker. Uh, and the reason why is even though he was a Brit, when he moved to China, he actually put on Chinese clothes. He actually ate Chinese food. And that's the good right. stuff, man. I mean, who, who, who wouldn't want to do that? Um, but, but what he was doing, his, he actually had a lot of his fellow missionaries derided them because they maintained uh, their, their British way of life, their British diet, their British dress, and they keep, continue to speak the English language. But do you see what Hudson Taylor was saying? He was saying, you know, he, he wore his hair long. He braided it like a Chinese man because he said, just like Paul, I will flex as far as culturally possible so that the gospel will not appear unnecessary alien at a cultural level. He's mm. building bridges, removing unnecessary barriers. Gotcha. So Jesus did it. Paul did it. There's countless examples of missionaries who have done it. And similarly, we want to we prepare the students and the, the young Christians that are listening to this podcast on how to do it as well. So, Ben, what sort of tips, what sort of advice would you give to someone who's listening that wants to really grow in their ability to contextualize the gospel to their lost friends? So the reality is contextualization is unavoidable. So everybody who's listening to this podcast contextualizes. The question is, to what culture, to what context are, are you actually directing your message? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I, I'm a middle-aged white male. I naturally communicate, okay, very easily and very clearly to other middle-aged white males because that's my context. And so the first step is probably just an awareness that we have a context and Americans are notorious for not understanding, recognizing that they actually have a culture. Sure. Uh, we we yeah. actually have a bias. We have a point of view. We have a worldview. Uh, but, but in fact, um, it, it, it's so prevalent. Um, it, it, it has permeated all of our society. We, we oftentimes don't recognize it. There, there's an old expression, okay, don't, don't ask a fish about water. Right? And, and the point is this, they swim in water. They don't recognize it. They don't realize it. So the first thing i got to do is i got to say, look, I have a narrative. I, I have a culture. I have a context. Hmm. And, and every time you read the Bible, guess what? It's been contextualized. Because believe it or not, the Bible was not written in English. Okay? Jesus did not speak in English. The only languages that Scripture, the original documents were written in, was Greek, it was Hebrew, it was Aramaic. Right. And so really what contextualization is, it, it's just translating. I'm translating the gospel to a different type of person. So gotcha. the, 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 really what I want to do is I want to build bridges. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the metaphors I use, the analogies I use, I'm trying to speak the language of the audience and the hearer. And so it really means two things. It means I've got to be an expert in God's Word. I got to know the Bible backwards and forwards, but I also have to be an expert in this person's world. Does that make sense? Okay, the word yeah. and the world. So, for example, uh, very often I interact uh, with athletes, and and when, when I find myself trying um, to 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 describe, you know, the holiness of God and the perfection of Christ, when I'm interacting with baseball players, can you imagine a batter who stepped to the plate and batted a thousand? Perfect, just hitting bombs, walk-off homers every time he stepped to the plate. And, and that, that, that type of metaphor really resonates with baseball players because they recognize there's no baseball player that could ever do that. We fall short when compared to the glory of mm -hmm, God. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, you, you know, so there, there's a variety of ways, analogies, and metaphors that I'll use that simply speak the language. A lot of times what I like to do is I like to reference um, cultural authorities in, in, in individuals' lives. So, for example, you brought up Paul at the Areopagus in Athens. Paul actually starts quoting Athenian philosophers. He brings up a guy named Epimenides and um, I think uh, the, the other guy is a guy named Arian, okay? And these were poets. These were philosophers. These were people that were read and listened to in everyday Athenian culture. In the same way, I like to reference popular movies, uh, popular books. If I'm interacting with an athlete, I might point to uh, someone who's at the top of their craft, you know, sure. the Mike Trout, the Tom Brady, uh, the, the guy who's the best in the business. But I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring up uh, song lyrics, movie quotes, things that will build bridges, show that, that, that I listen to what you listen to, I read what you read, I watch what you watch, and these things are all br- building bridges to the gospel. Let's speak your language. Mm-hmm. So even being able to u- utilize the song lyrics or like the, the sport, like, like an athlete, to connect them, to connect your friend to understanding some truth about God. That's exactly right. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, so what role would you say that, I guess, asking questions and trying to go deeper with your friends plays in, in contextualization? Yeah, I, I truly believe, I say this all the time, but, but, but one of the, uh, the most damaging lies of the enemy, particularly when it comes to our mission to make disciples, is convincing young believers that they, I just don't know enough, so I should just keep my mouth shut. Right, for sure. And, and just in my estimation, the, the most effective and fruitful evangelists are not the men and women who have all the answers, okay, have all the information, know the Bible, you know, from front to back. The best evangelists ask the best questions mm-hmm. because questions, they, they do a couple, couple things. First off, um, they, they demonstrate interest and care. Um, one of the phrases that we use a lot is that people don't care what you know until they know you care. Mm-hmm. And one of the primary ways I can demonstrate interest and genuine concern in somebody's life is just when I ask them questions. But, but, but on top of that, um, questions also can surface doubt and uncertainty. So not only do they help me understand the person, their worldview, their background, uh, their values, their priorities, their vision for the future... But, but very often I find myself in the dugout, on the ball field, on the sideline, and ask young, young men questions like, you know, what, what, what is your purpose in life? Uh, what do you want to be known for when you graduate from West Georgia? And unfortunately, a lot of these men say, I've never thought about that. Right. Uh, I've never considered that. I might ask them about their spiritual background. And they say, you know, I haven't given it much thought. But there's something about that question. It unsettles your soul. It's almost like a little pebble in your shoe. It just, it, it just gnaws at you. Um, and it surfaces their doubt. Uh, I would say questions also minimize defensiveness. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of people who are not part of the family of God that have a um, character of who Christians are, they tend to think that uh, Christians are know-it-alls and they have all the answers. Uh, and, and they're here to scold me, uh, to tell me to get right or, or change the way I live. And when I ask questions, um, it, it just puts people at ease. It comforts them. Um, and then it also just creates a desire to want to hear more. So I like to ask questions that are thought-provoking, um, that, that, that make them say, I want to hear more about this. Yeah. How would you answer this? Ben, tell me more about this. That's great, man. Okay. 
this, this, Ben, this is all super helpful. This, I think, is going to be a very big blessing for everyone who's listening. What other sort of advice or encouragement, um, anything else you want to share on the topic of contextualization? Yeah. Uh, lastly, I would just say we, we, we've got to approach our fraternity house, you know, our, our teammates, uh, you know, our dorm uh, with the eyes of a missionary. Right. This is what this is what overseas missionaries do each and every day. They recognize I'm in a foreign land. Well, guess what? The Bible says that we are sojourners, we are exiles, we are foreigners in this earth, and so we've got to be experts uh, in the culture that we're trying to reach. And so, just in the same way, if I move to a remote island, you know, off the coast of Asia, I, I I would dedicate my life to learning the language, the customs, the traditions, the worldview, become an expert, the diet. Uh, you know, of this culture. And we've got to do yeah. the same thing right here in the West, right here on U.S. campuses. So we've got to consider the environment because what we recognize is there are certain stereotypes about athletes and jocks and Greeks and independents and freshmen, but no one group is monolithic. We're, we're all different. And so I've got to consider the environment, but also the in- individual. And, th- and then I've got to consider how do I communicate? Uh, how do I dress? Uh, my tone, my body language, but I've got to give up my preferences Okay, so that I can be a part of the salvation of some. And ultimately, here, here, here's what actually gives me hope, is I recognize that every student, uh, really every individual I interact with, is made in God's image, and therefore they're religious. Because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that eternity is written on their heart. And so, yes, they're all unique, but they're all similar. Whether they recognize it or not, they all have a, a, a deep desire and hunger uh, to know God. And Proverbs 25 says that uh, the purpose of a man's heart is like deep waters, but a man of understanding can draw them out. So that's what I really view my job as. I want to draw out the purpose, the deep waters of their heart. How do I do that? By giving up my preferences, asking good questions, and taking a genuine interest in their life. That's excellent, man. That's excellent. The best uh, missionaries, the best people who are able to communicate the gospel to their lost friends are those who are selfless and take the time to really get to know that person, get to know their culture. You'll, you'll make a big impact if you just stop thinking about yourself for a little bit and start thinking about others. You'll make a huge impact in your, in your friends' lives. Absolutely. So. Well, good word. Well, Ben, listen, thank you for joining us, man. This has been uh, great to have you back on the podcast. We'll certainly, you know, I'll see if I could squeeze you in for another one or two sometime uh, in the future. Um, I want to tell everyone who's listening to please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and also please share the podcast um, with some of your friends. Go go and scroll through all the various episodes that we have posted in the past. Find some topics that could be uh, beneficial for you or one of your friends, and feel free to share it. Um, send it on down the line. So with all that in mind, for my very good friend Ben Weber, this is T-Roll saying thank you again for listening. We will see you next time for another episode of the Campus Outreach Podcast. Take care.